0: Amen. Great job, Ben. Thank you all. Well, as you're having a seat, church, if you will grab your Bibles or your phones or whatever you've got and open up to the book of Ephesians or your scripture journals, if you've got. If you're new with us, uh, we've got a gift for you. It's in the back, uh, back there by our giving box. Uh, We've got the ESV translation of the book of Ephesians, uh, their scripture journal format. We'd love for you to have one of those to journal through God's word as he's teaching you and growing you as we walk through this book together as a church. Um, Grateful that you all are here this morning. We are kind of our meat and potatoes of how we go through and how we teach through the scriptures as a church as we just preach through books of the Bible. So we find ourselves this morning in Paul's letter to a church. In Ephesus, this letter called Ephesians, and we are picking up in Ephesians, chapter three. And so this is a section Paul just, just reminded us of the uh, the bigness of God, the grandeur of God, His saving work of saving those that were far off and separated from God. That Jesus, through His blood, has reconciled us, has chosen us, has adopted us, has redeemed us. Last week we saw that Jesus, through His work, has broken down the dividing walls that we put up against one another. So all races, ethnicities, um, any of our differences that we as people put up, Jesus through his blood in the church has annihilated those dividing walls and has brought us together as brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the Most High. And so Paul now begins or continues in this letter and he get, he's going to get a little pastoral here, right? And so Uh, Here we go, Ephesians. I'm going to read it. We're going to be in 1 through 13 this morning. This is God's word to us. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, when you read of this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and has been now revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the spirits. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to bring to light for everyone what was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal promise that he has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you which is your glory. Now church, All of us at some point in our lives, all of us as we walk through life, as we navigate life, all of us are going to suffer in some capacity. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to face illness. Some of us are going to face financial hardships. Some of us are going to face intense physical suffering. Some of us are going to face intense emotional suffering. Some of us are going through those things, some of those right now. So everyone knows this. Everyone has an idea of this. Everyone has experienced this to some degree. In fact, all cultures, all races, all religions, all people in some way have a paradigm by which they deal with this idea of suffering, by which they, they deal with this idea of pain. And so we as Christians, we're not exempt from this. We're not exempt from this. As God's sons and daughters, remember Paul through Ephesians, as he wrote Ephesians 1 and 2, we read, uh, we're sons and daughters, we're adopted, we're chosen, we're cleansed, we're redeemed, yet we still go through this suffering, this idea of suffering, this idea of hardship. And often, church, when suffering comes our way, when we're hit with it, when something happens, when maybe it comes out of the blue, it just it knocks us off balance, doesn't it? It causes us, many of us, as Paul writes at the very end of this, when we see it, when we experience it, when we sense it, it causes a lot of us to lose heart, to lose heart. We become discouraged. Suffering can be confusing, it can be disorienting, but we we still... All of us walk through it, even though it's difficult. I remember uh, this was about a year and a half ago. This season in my life, um, we had the best dog ever, Zoe. Zoe was this incredible dog. It was the dog that Ash and I got when we first got married. uh, Zoe had just turned ten, and I remember, like, unexpectedly, uh, one night. Zoe starts acting strange. It was kind of like one of those, like, should should I bring her to the vet? What's going on here? She's kind of like breathing weird. And then all of a sudden, like, within what seemed like a few minutes, Zoe dies in my arms. I'm weeping. The kids are on the couch. I'm like, how is this happening? So Zoe dies. I have to go out to the backyard. I don't know if you're allowed to do this in suburbia, but I dug a hole in my backyard. I buried Zoe right there. We made a little memorial to her, a grave to her. It's a sad moment. The very next day was my daughter's birthday. So Izzy's like, I can't believe Zoe died on my birthday. Like, she's, she's all upset. She's about, to, right? It's just this, it's horrible. Like, dad, she's never seen dad cry, and here I am weeping with a dog in my arms. Right? And she's like this horrible moment in her life and in my life, quite frankly. Lost the best dog in the world. We have another dog. She's not nearly as good. We don't like her nearly as much. She's like, get out of here. You're not you're nothing like Zoe. She's gotta live with that her entire life. Um, I hold it against her. I don't know why, I just do. Right? It's better the dog than the kids. Okay? And so the the kids loaded for school the next day. It's just kind of like, it's real melancholy in the house, and they're driving down to school. They're driving down Ahona, Egypt, about to cross 1488, and uh, a spiked buck jumps into my wife's car. Like, kids are all in the back. Boom! Just nails the car, shatters all the windows, Glass flies all over. We have a newborn baby in the back seat. Goes all over Ethan, cuts his face up. Uh, goes all over the baby. Somehow, the, because it was cold, the baby's like in one of those like hazmat suit kind of warmth things, so it like protects her face from the shards of glass coming in. It was this traumatic experience. We, the ambulance comes. The Not only that, the deer is still kind of alive, and it's like, what do they do with it? I I show up, and we have to go over to take care of the deer. Another dead animal that we like in my arms, essentially. I'm like, what is going on here, right? And then a few hours later, we find out our credit card number got stolen, and someone spent like five thousand dollars, like at a quick mart. You're like, how is that even possible, like? How can you spend that much money, right? And so you got to go through all, just like one thing after your, after another. And I'm sitting here thinking like, what is going on? Now those are all kind of silly and we've all had kind of those silly moments of kind of suffering and pain. We've also had more serious ones that have happened to us. Like I remember one season in Ashtonai's life where uh, I was pastoring a church in it and it, our church that I was pastoring through one set of circumstances to the next, it was like, uh, the church essentially just evaporated in front of me. All the work and all the, uh, the work of the ministry, the, the hard work of planting a church that was involved, it, was, it seemed like five years of work was just sort of just gone. And you look back and you're like, Lord, what, what are you doing here? And within that same season, in fact, one of you in here called me to let me know this, a friend of mine that was on the mission field, uh, one of you in here calls me and says, did you hear about Ronnie? He, someone killed him. A friend serving in a very, very hard place that was very, very much against the good news of Jesus was killed on the mission field, leaving behind his wife and his little boy. And I'm thinking, like, my church just evaporated in front of me. A friend of mine was just killed on the mission field, uh, and then Ash and I experienced uh, a miscarriage. We lost a baby. It was just a season of, like, difficulty, and you're like, Lord, If I'm your chosen, adopted son, why? I don't understand this. Why is this happening? Did I get it wrong? Like, am I? How? How am I supposed to walk through this? Am I even? What's going on here? And so maybe that's you here this morning. Uh, Maybe you're kind of left in that place where your world has been turned upside down, and one one way or another, and you're just wondering why is this happening. What's going on here? So you've got sort of the everyday suffering that we experience in life, and then you've got also sort of gospel suffering, right, that Paul's experiencing, that my friend on the mission field experienced, that when you stand up and you proclaim the good news of Jesus and you want to see his name magnified above all other names, that inevitably as you're advancing the mission of God, and you're obeying the gospel, suffering will come into your life in some form or fashion. The gospel seems to almost attract suffering. If you seek to share Christ with your neighbors or your co-workers, or you seek to stand on the truths of God's word and what he's called us to in the culture that we find ourselves in, and you try to share that good news of Jesus with others, uh, oftentimes we find ourselves excluded. We find ourselves uh, mocked, we find ourselves maybe even being persecuted in some way, or if you're like my friend serving in hard places uh, in some in some instances, it's it costs it can cost you your life to elevate the name of Jesus above every other name. And so my point is here is that even the strongest, even those that are, just assured in their faith that Jesus has moved mightily that uh, you've you said God I'm yours I know I'm your child that we we can get ex- discouraged when everyday suffering takes place and when gospel suffering takes place An example that I remember as I'm as I'm as I was kind of reflecting on this is John the Baptist John the Baptist was the last of the prophets he was, the, he was called the forerunner. John the Baptist was one that was there to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to declare that one that is coming before me, who's I'm not even fit to untie the latches on his sandals, there's one coming that he, the kingdom of God will be on his shoulders, and he will be all that we've been waiting for. And so John the Baptist, he came on the scene, and he, he kind of was like... He, he, he wore weird clothes, he had this really weird diet, he ate like locusts, he ate like, he just it was this bizarre character as you're reading the Bible and he finds himself in the desert and he's baptizing people to get them ready for the one true Messiah to come. And everything that he says is like dripping with conviction and passion about this Jesus that was promised that has now arrived. And he's, he says things like, I must decrease so that he must increase. And all these people thought he was the great Messiah to come. He's like, no, it's not me. It's one that's coming after me. It's Jesus. And then when he sees me, he goes, it's him right there. He's the Messiah. And he says, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. He must increase, John the Baptist said, and I must decrease. I must go away so that the name of Jesus would be elevated. And then John finds himself in prison as he tells more and more people about this messiah to come he, he he gets himself landed in jail this guy that had all this assurance this guy that had all this passion this guy that was like jesus is the one we've been waiting for and then he finds himself in jail and he's facing death and he's wondering i don't think i signed up for this well, this is scary this is bad. And he sends word to Jesus, and he essentially <laughs> sends word back to him. and says, hey, are you really the one we've been waiting for? Are you sure you're the one? Because I didn't know that me decreasing and you increasing meant me sitting in jail. I, that wasn't part of the plan. Are you going to come and get me? John the Baptist One of the strongest saints, one of the the final Old Testament prophets, as many have referred to him, to pave the way for Jesus, was losing heart in the face of suffering. He was losing heart in the face of suffering. So all of us, we walk through some kind of suffering in our lives. Look at... Ephesians 3, verse 1, right here. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. The gospel landed Paul in prison. Remember, Paul is planting all these churches. He's... uh, He's proclaiming that Jesus' death and resurrection is now our source of life, that we are now adopted into the family of God by placing our faith and trust in this one that has come that paid the penalty of sin that we could never atone for. Jesus did it. And then Paul finds himself in prison. And this sounds crazy. like, here's Paul, this guy that's doing all this wonderful work for the kingdom of God and he lands in jail after he's just said all the things he just said to us in Ephesians 1 and 2. We just spent six weeks unpacking and learning all these wonderful truths that Paul was teaching to us about the grandeur and majesty of God, that God has loved us, Paul t- t- taught us, that God has called us out, called us by name, that he knows us, that he's chosen us, that he's adopted us into the family of God through Christ, that he's blessed us, that he's broken down all the dividing walls between us, that he's now raised us up with Christ. He poured out his grace on us. And and not only that, he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because of Jesus. That's what Paul just got through teaching us in Ephesians 1 and 2. That's amazing. And yet he says, and I'm in prison. Yet we still suffer. It doesn't seem to make sense. But in truth, the gospel actually advances through suffering. Suffering can't undo the gospel. It magnifies the gospel. It magnifies the good news of Jesus. Because, listen to this, Paul concludes in this section... In verse 13, by kind of tying a bow on him in prison and then all that he's kind of suffering for the gospel, he, he concludes in verse 13 at the very end, he says, So I ask you, do not lose heart. Don't let your heart sink. Don't get discouraged. Don't get cynical. Don't leave the faith over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Don't get discouraged. He was in prison, suffering, yet proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He was in prison for Jesus' sake. But he says, don't get discouraged, church. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? In our everyday life, when we stand up for the things of God, and we stand up for the truth of the gospel, and we see suffering, maybe we're suffering uh, physically, emotionally, suffering for the gospel, how do we not lose heart? How do we not lose heart when we see our friends and our loved ones endure long seasons of suffering? Long seasons of pain, of cancer, or financial hardship, or death of a loved one. How do you endure that? Well, Paul here, Paul's saying, Listen, all that stuff is not going to just go away. And he's putting on his pastor hat here. And he's looking down at his church. And he's saying, Don't let this suffering that you're experiencing don't let what you're walking through rob you of the joy of your salvation don't let it rob you of what Christ has done for you don't, let it, don't, get, don't get cynical on me don't let it rob you of the hope that you have in Jesus don't let your heart harden don't lose heart and some of you maybe this morning are tipping that way Maybe some of you are already there that you're losing hearts. and mean, you just barely got here this morning. You didn't want to come. Uh, You feel kind of deflated. You feel demoralized. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're just just hurting emotionally. Uh, Maybe you're close to losing hearts. And you're like, this season just doesn't seem to want to end. What is going on here? And you're hanging on by a thread. Paul's word to you is do not lose heart. And there's reasons that we see that he gives us why we shouldn't lose heart. He almost kind of goes off on a tangent. And he says, here's why you don't lose heart. First, he says, because we're in God's plan. God knows. God's with you. Second is that we are now God's new people. And lastly, he says, not only that, not not only are we in God's plan, not only are we God's new people that he's called, but yet, but also we have access to God and his very presence. So first, we're part of God's plan. He says, you're in. Every tribe, tongue, and nation who has believed in Christ is now a part of God's plan. Therefore, he says, don't lose heart, church. You've believed in Jesus. You've believed in the gospel. Verse two, he says this, God's grace that was given to me for you. God gave this to Paul for those that would hear this message how the mystery, he goes on to say, this is an important word this morning. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. He says, God revealed this great mystery to me through the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I didn't make this stuff up. This is from God, verse four and five. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, meaning the other people of God, they weren't, they didn't have this, but you now have the mystery revealed through the Apostle Paul. Verse 5 he goes on as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit. God gave Paul this mystery and revealed it to him to preach this mystery which is now revealed. So it's no longer a mystery. It once was a mystery. God has revealed it to the Apostle Paul, and he's now telling us what this mystery is, and he answers it. What is this great mystery? What is this great mystery that's supposed to give me hope through suffering, which is supposed to give me hope through trials, which is supposed to give me hope when I see my loved ones in pain and in hardship? He says this, the mystery, verse 6, is that the Gentiles, meaning you and I, we, we said last week that word Gentiles could mean could be almost translated, all the other ethnicities or ethnic groups, those not Jews, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. God no longer wants just one tribe, one tongue, one nation. He wants the gospel to go out to all to all nations that all might hear of this good news of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is now revealed. Paul's saying, don't lose heart because you've been brought into the very plan of God for the world and you're a part of it. You're a part of this advancing work. And one of my uh, uh, one of my favorite pastors and theologians, a guy named Ray Ortland, says it this way, uh, and I love the way he puts it. He says, and anyone can get in on this. So if you're here and you're on the fence maybe and you're like, what's going on here? And you're just wondering, "Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go all in on this. The good news of the gospel is that anyone can get in on this. If you just bring your empty hands of faith to Jesus, he fills us. He brings joy. He brings life. He brings the promises that we've all been waiting for. this one that came to take our place, Jesus. His grace, when we open our empty hands of faith and he fills us with all that is in him, with all of our emptiness, he can overcome even the most severe doubts and even the most violent transgressions against him. Listen to verse seven as Paul goes on. He goes, of this I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So before we begin uh, the book of Ephesians, we read through the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church as Paul's planting all of these churches and all these new works of the ministry. And disciples are being made, and the gospel is going forth, and people are being saved and healed, and the church is exploding, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of financial hardships, even in the midst of all these things. The gospel is, is just taking root and springing up. And we read a story early on in Acts about this guy named Saul, who was this giant skeptic of Christianity. He despised the church, he despised Christianity. This guy even went so far as to approve of the murder of one of the early Christians named Stephen as he stoned. He tried to lock up Christians in jail, and that this one Saul, God came and saved opened his eyes, redeemed him, rescued him, and made him now the one that gives us this great mystery to the Gentiles and saved him, radically changed his life. But before, he was absolutely opposed to the gospel. He was opposed to the church. He did everything in his power to fight against it. But then he saw Jesus, and all of his doubts began to dissolve. His encounter with Christ melted his hard heart. And literally the scales fell off his eyes and he saw for the first time the beauty of Christ. The glory of the risen Christ. And he he began laboring the rest of his life to make the message of grace known to anyone that would hear. And anyone can get in on this because of Christ. So the gospel can take the most violent skeptic The gospel can take the most opposed person to the message of the cross. And by the grace of God, through the people of God, through the message of the good news of Jesus, melt our hard hearts and turn us into advocates of grace. That more and more dividing walls would be broken down. That the family of God could come together. So Paul says we're in God's plan." which means no amount of suffering, grief, loss, and failure can undo the plans that Jesus has for you. He says, take heart. Nothing can undo this. Here's why, verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, Paul knew, he knows where he came from. He knew what he used to do to other Christians. He knew his heart toward the church. He goes, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's a, just a mind-blowing idea, the unsearchable riches of Christ. In the digital age where we have literally the computing power of what used to be like 8 billion computers in our pockets now, and we have things called search engines, and we have Google we understand the amount of knowledge and the amount of data and the amount of information that is available to us right now at just a blink of an eye. If you type in any word, in any language, into Google, it tells you how many search results it gives you. And it just seems endless. You could just mine information all day, every day, and never exhaust it. Paul is telling us that he was given this mission to preach to the gentiles the unsearchable you cannot exhaust it at the end of google you'll all, you'll end up one day coming to the end of their 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 algorithm and their data they're like okay we've searched everything that's out there Christ's grace Christ's riches all that is found in him it's unsearchable you cannot mine it to the end it is Never ending. It is, you can't exhaust him. His grace and mercy abound and abound and abound and there's more and there's more and there's more and there's more. Paul says, I was here to preach to you the unsearchable riches of Christ. You can never exhaust Jesus. Verse nine, and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? This mystery that God is bringing to us is his plan, but it's happening through a person. No other religion can claim this. No other religion says that. All the other religions, all the other worldviews, claim a path or a teaching or a philosophy and some teacher comes and shows us the way to walk gives us the truths to live out and you have to go find it and you attain to it and you might tip the scale in the right direction and gain favor with this god or with this way and you might gain enlightenment you might gain understanding you might gain peace through that journey but christianity doesn't say that christianity doesn't tell you to do that Jesus comes along. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's not a teaching. It's not a philosophical idea to adhere to. It's a person. Jesus says, I came and succeeded in all the places that you failed. And all of your failings and all of your missteps are bound up in me and the cross, and I took it. And I said, it's finished. And those that come to me with their empty hands of faith, because no one can boast, now gets all of my benefits of glory given to you through a person. God in the flesh, not an idea. He says, that's why you shouldn't lose heart. You have him. You have the unsearchable riches of Christ, who's enough for you in all the pain and sorrow and suffering you may be facing. He's inexhaustible when it comes to his power and his grace and his riches for us, and he's worth suffering for. And he's better than any comfort we try to seek out, right? He's better than anything the world holds out in front of us that says, take this, this will make you happy. Paul says, don't lose heart. He's with you, the person of Jesus, the reality of him in your lives. You're part of his plan. Don't lose heart. Secondly, we're, we're part of God's people. He's brought us in th- through this person. He's made for himself a new people, a community. Listen to verse 10. So that through the church, the church isn't a building. We're not anti-building, but we just know that the church isn't a building. It's not somewhere you go. It's who you are. It's our, our identity that through the church, through God's people, through God's called out ones, through God's chosen and adopted people, The gathered bride of Christ here on earth, he goes on to say this, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God. Wow. Through the church, through you and I. Does anyone work on their own car? Know what a manifold is? I googled it. I couldn't find it in my car if I wanted to. Um, I just know it's kind of a car, like car guys say manifold a lot, right? So what if you're a car guy and you know, and I'm going to mess it up a little bit, this is maybe kind of true, right? But it makes sense. A manifold is essentially you've got one pipe, one place that something enters, and it goes into multiple different chambers. Any car guy Is that right? Yeah. Okay, kind of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My car guy's like, mm, not necessarily, not anymore, not with computers. Not since the Google came out. Anyway, but it, it goes from one into many, right? It goes from one into many. So the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church is this idea that the very wisdom of God, the very purposes of the kingdom, the very understanding of who Christ is, what he's done, and his mission comes down from God on high into all of these varied places, namely the church, through his people. That we now have great purpose as God's people. That the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, if you want to get, we don't have time to unpack all that. Many theologians believe that because Paul just talked about um, the prince of the power of the air, the satanic forces, that the wisdom of God, the nature of God coming down through the church is made known through the evil present realities in our world today. That's an incredible thought. That God's justified and redeemed people are the ones that now display the wisdom and glory to all. Even to the powers at work that we don't like to talk about that seem creepy and weird, but are very really at work in our lives and in our hearts against the kingdom of God. That the church, that through the church, that wisdom and that knowledge of that person, the glory of that comes forth and pushes back the darkness. That the church is a vehicle for the light of God. And we're a part of that. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does that tell us? That tells us that the church is not plan B for God. Uh, It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a band-aid. That he's always had the church in mind. It was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, his only son. So as the church we suffered together. We weep together like no other place on earth. The gospel cuts through financial status. The gospel cuts through race. The gospel cuts through class. The gospel cuts through all the dividing barriers that we build up against one another. Crumbles it because it's all by grace that we're saved through faith and says we rally around each other. And though we may look differently, though we may sound different, he says we can come together and not lose heart because the very manifold wisdom of God would be made known through this church so we can suffer well together. So, So don't abandon the church. It's the very plan of God. I hear this a lot in my generation. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. That is not a biblical idea. You can't say that and line up with the scriptures. Jesus calls the church his bride. That He went to the cross for the church. To redeem, renew, and bring new life to the church. Jesus' mission was to save that which was lost and bring together a new people that he calls the church. So... If it's all by grace and it's all by the good work of Jesus, um, here's what it kind of means for us. It means that we're going to get broken, suffering, busted up people that walk in the doors. The bride of Christ is imperfect. Um, I heard it said this way Jesus married crazy. <laughs> Thought that was good. We all kind of, may, maybe some of us got that crazy uncle or crazy brother. That you're like, oh, I hope I don't sit next to them at Thanksgiving. Jesus married crazy. Like, right? He looked at all of us and says, you're mine. Uh, But one day it won't be imperfect. And he will perfect his bride. And we will stand before him spotless, purified, holy, and redeemed because of his good work. Um. So we're saved into a people. So I want to just admonish us as a people, don't suffer alone. If you're walking through something, don't try to shoulder it on your own. I think to try to shoulder it on your own is to stiff arm God and his plan. And it's, and it's just to say, oh, I got this. Let the body of Christ come around you because God has wired us and connected us all at more of a deeper level than we can ever fathom our dream. Final thing, we have access to God's presence. We have access to the throne room of God. You get God now through Christ. He's qualified you to be in his presence. None of our work does, but the work of Jesus does. The Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Some of us, um, some of us approach God like, a business transaction, or like we're stockholders, right? Let's increase shareholder value here. So if I do something for you, let's hope the output on the other side uh, really benefits me. Or you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, God. That's not thats not boldness and confidence. That's I've got to have something to offer in order to benefit. The story of the gospel is, though I had nothing, though I was an alien and a stranger, God made me alive through Christ and made me an adopted son and daughter. That's confidence. My kids know that no matter what, they have access to me. They don't have to bring something to the table to earn my favor or to coax me into listening to them. They're, they're just mine. They're my kids. So though they might cause me heartache or trouble, though they might make the wrong decision that I wouldn't necessarily make, they still can come to me, I'll offer my advice, but I'm always going to love them and we have access to God like that. He, he loves us. He wants us to come to him. Some of us think God is like working against you or he's playing games with you. God is for you in Christ Jesus. We have access to him so we can come now with confidence, and not only confidence, it says boldness. We can come to him with boldness. We can make our requests known to him. We don't have to hold back. We don't have to we don't have to to, to somehow sugarcoat it for him to make it seem more palatable. We can come with boldness to the throne room of grace making our request known before the living God, the creator and maker. Verse 13. So I ask you in light of all that Paul says. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Suffering can't undo the gospel. It magnifies it. It puts on display the glorious truths of God that Paul's unpacking here. It shows how near God is, and it reminds us that we're his. So some of you, church, you're walking through something that's hard. It's a pain. It's a trial. It's shaking you to the core. Don't lose heart, and don't walk through it alone. Some of you, you uh, are living with boldness, and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to your loved ones, to your neighbors, to your friends, and it's costing you something right now. Don't lose heart. Jesus is enough for you. And others of you I want to challenge in this room um, are not suffering, but God's asking you to take a risk, but God's asking you to take a step in faith toward him. And you know in the back of your mind that it, ah, I, just, I think this might cost me something. I think this might be hard. I think this is going to be a difficult thing. I want to encourage you to invite brothers and sisters in Christ into that decision. And if God is calling you to walk in faith because of uh, the gospel, what he's calling you to, don't let the risk of what others might think of you or the risk of suffering hold you back from a place that God is calling you into. Uh, Because he's worth it. Um, He's worth it. The gospel is big enough. Jesus is big enough to handle any repercussions that might come your way as a result of walking in what he's calling you to and toward. And so my prayer as we close is that we might suffer well. That our church family would rally around each other, love each other well, care for one another. And that like Paul just admonishes us here, even when you're watching your friends walk through it, lock arms with them and don't lose heart. Don't become cynical. Press all the more into the church because it is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to those around us. It's worth it. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We Thank you that it teaches us and shapes us in places that are difficult and hard. And God, I just pray for those of us here in this room. Lord, that we would walk in faith and obedience to where you're calling us. Lord, that you would remind us that we're in your plan. God, remind the person right now that's experiencing suffering that they're in your plan. That you're for them. God, remind them that that they're not just in your plan, but you've surrounded them with a people, with a church, with your bride that wants to walk through it with them. And Lord, remind them most importantly right now, may they go to you with confidence that we have access to you, Lord Jesus, to a person, our maker, our healer, our redeemer, our savior. And so Lord, we thank you for that reality and that truth. God, may we worship you this morning because of that reality. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship in this morning, church.